This is the Endangered Species Podcast, the podcast by aspiring men for aspiring men from Phoenix, Arizona. This is Sean Vollendorf. We are here to get the godly man off of the endangered species list. Hey, I am super pumped up about a direction we're going with this podcast over the next couple of months. We're going to take a break from guests. We've had 20 guests, 20 guys on the endangered species list, 20 godly men. And now what we're going to do is we're going to go about four to eight weeks. We're not really sure uh, where we're just Logan and I are going to hash back and forth on some different man topics. And we're going to do some Q&A where Logan gets my thoughts and we'll dive into what the scriptures say and what wise men say on how to build a man, how to be a man, how to be a godly man. Logan, I'm going to flip it over to you, bud. Yeah, Sean, I think uh, our guests have been awesome. We've been able to siphon out a ton of wisdom from some super godly guys. And now I'm excited to get more pointed and more directional in covering some specific topics that I think are on the minds and hearts of a lot of young men right now. And so today we're going to have a conversation about confidence. And so I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. I'm excited to chop it up and take a look at confidence in the department of our faith, our relationships, our work, et cetera. And so, and I, I think we should just dive in. Sean, you mentor a lot of young men. What are you seeing in their lives right now in the area of confidence? Yeah. And for the record, real quick, um, I'll say this, Logan, these are topics our, our guys are asking for. Members of the herd, our listeners, our young guns are saying, hey man, you guys should do an episode on X, or you should do an episode on Y. And one of the topics that guys are wanting to talk about is confidence. Here is what I'm seeing in answer to your question. I think there is an epidemic of doubt among young men, doubt mainly in themselves. There, there's an epidemic of lack of confidence. And dude, I can relate. I think back to my years, 18 to 24, I lacked a ton of confidence. When I got to college, I was a soccer player. I ended up getting a scholarship to play soccer. And yet I was weak mentally, even though I, I did have some skills in that area. I played all kinds of sports growing up. I was naturally good at that. I was usually um, the leader or a leader of the teams I was on. But uh, still yet, when I got to college, I began to struggle with confidence I don't know if it was I got around better players and I begin to doubt whether I had what it takes. I don't know if it was something that was laying and waiting in my mind already. But literally, man, I think back to my freshman year of college. I was playing for this team and I was having a fairly good season. But then I went up against a player who was just flat out better than me. I was a defender. He was on offense. He got an assist and a goal in that game. And I walked off the field, and, and it was kind of the first real time that I had strongly doubted my ability. And you would think, oh, just bounce back from that, no big deal. Just go try harder, practice harder. Um, th that's one aspect. That's one road I could have taken. But for whatever reason, I chose the other road, which was to ruminate in self-doubt. I just literally went down this rabbit hole of self-doubt to the point where I doubted my abilities at all. It got so bad, Logan that I literally later that season, because I'd lost so much confidence over one game, man. But but after that, I lost so much confidence, I literally would take naps and not set my alarm in hopes that I would miss the actual game because I became that scared of failure. I would give energy, mental energy, 
to rehearsing excuses prior to poor performance. Now, how do you think you're going to perform when you're giving your your energy that could be given to practice time or could be given to study or mental preparation if you're going to take a test, if it's an academic issue or whatever? If instead of doing that, you're giving your energy to rehearsing excuses that you're going to tell yourself and that you're going to tell others as reasons for your failure. Yeah, I, I can relate with that too. What What do you think this, you called it an epidemic. What do you think that this lack of confidence on an epidemic scale in, in young men in particular, what do you think it's attributed to? And, and surely it's it's more than just a simplified one answer, but what are some things that you've seen that, that might attribute to this lack of confidence? I'm sure it's been there throughout the ages. Every generation tends to think theirs is the worst or the, you know, uh, the most challenged in a certain area or something like this. In this case, we're talking about the area of confidence. I do think it is part cultural though. I, I pro- probably young men have always on the come up kind of wondered, you know, do I have what it takes? And, how do you convince yourself that you do have what it takes or how do you learn that you don't and go into another field or area or whatever? Uh, but I, but I do think part of it is cultural. And by that, I mean, parenting the, the generations, you know, really the last couple, couple, three generations of, um, young men that I've mentored, I have noticed more and more doubt, more and more lack of confidence, and if, if you study sort of the way parenting has gone over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, uh, you know, in America, we believe in the kid. You know, we, we, we want the kid to feel like everybody believes in you. You can do anything if you put your mind to it, which is one of the biggest lies that you could ever tell a kid. Uh, and, and we think we're serving a young boy to um, tell them that uh, they're good at something before they're actually good at it. We tell them, you know, hey, you, you're a champ. You know, you're, you're amazing. You're so good at that, you know. And the reality is I think that that can do harm to a kid. I remember this female ski instructor. She's a legend in Aspen. She's probably 70 years old by now. But everybody wants to hire this ski instructor. She knows how to train kids how to ski and how to get proficient very quickly. A friend of mine was interviewing her one day, and he said, you know, what is your philosophy on training. And she said, it's very simple. There are some toxic things that you could say to a beginner skier, a child that I never say. So he said, like what? And she said, you're good. (laughs) She also said, another thing I never say is you're gifted or you have natural ability at at this. Now the truth is some kid might be more gifted than another, of course, in any given area. And in this case, Alpine skiing, But her point was, I'm not going to tell them they're good until they're good. When they're bad, I'm not going to tell them they're bad. I'm just going to say, you're just starting out. Now, I'm going to compliment progress, but I'm not going to over-compliment progress. I'm not going to tell a kid he's a world beater before he's a world beater. And here's here's what she does. She has these little stepping stones. It's not like like you're either terrible or you're elite. You know, she offers nuggets of encouragement along the way, but she's incredibly honest with a kid. What does that do for a kid? A kid never really gives in to this false idea that he's better than he is. And then when he's exposed, like some of these guys who get out in the work world at 22, thinking they're going to be, you know, uh, uh, SVP in like three months, you know, it's like, no dude, it doesn't work like that. Like you got to bust it. You got to earn it. You got to prove yourself. 
there's, there's this whole generation of kids that have been told their whole lives that they're world beaters. And the reality is some of them were just, they were born privileged. You know, they were born on first base and they think or on third base and they thought they hit a triple and you know, there, there is that aspect, but I do think there's this aspect that's a mistake of telling kids they're great at something before they are great. We have this generation of what, you know, some have called, uh, Gen Z parents. They've, they've called them uh, bulldozer parents where snowplow parents or snowplow parents, you know, where the, where the parent goes out ahead of the kid and essentially eliminates all obstacles in the kid's life. And if you want to, to destroy confidence in a young boy, remove all the headwinds. Hmm. He needs those headwinds so that he can overcome them and prove to himself that he can actually do something. Yeah. And growing up, like I, I loved having the support of my parents. I loved having their verbal affirmation. I, I loved when they told me I was good at things, but I don't think they ever told me that I was good at something unless I actually was good at it. Cause I think even good on them. Cause I think even, well, and I think even kids can sniff out, like there's a difference in encouraging your kids and patronizing them. And so it, if my, if my mom tells me I'm good at basketball and I go out and shoot one for 15 from the field, I'm not going to be super confident, <laughs> like no matter what she says. And I'm probably going to feel a little bit patronized even as a kid. And so I, I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head and, um, I think I want to dive into that some more, but I want to go in the direction of, in light of all of this, how, how does one build confidence? Like how, how, how should young men, not even kids, but like how should young men now in college, uh, on the heels of college that have maybe been raised in an environment where all they were ever told was, Hey, you're great at this. How can, how can guys like that build confidence? Man, if I could only give a one word answer to that question, my answer would be skills. The way you give someone confidence is you teach them skills. You teach them to become proficient in different areas. Just telling somebody they're good at shooting a basketball without ever going and doing that and giving them feedback and teaching them the actual steps of keeping your elbow underneath the ball and reaching up into the proverbial rim, you know, putting your hand in the cookie jar, as they say, on the follow through of a basketball shot. If you don't teach a kid all of those skills and then give him reps, right? Reps with feedback. And that's the thing reps with honest feedback. Uh, you're not serving him when it comes to the area of confidence. I think about all of the different skills that a boy could be or maybe even should be learning. There's a kid I used to uh, spend time with, 11-year-old kid. This is just a few years ago that we used to kind of involve in our family and we mentored him some. And I'll never forget it. We were building a deck and I handed this power drill to this 11-year-old kid. And I go, here's your job. You're going to put the screws in. You know, I'd, I'd get him started. But then I wanted him to go ahead and, you know, countersink him. And dude, this kid threw his shoulders back. And he's like, you mean I can do the drill? And I'm like, yeah, dude. Well, I got other stuff to do, man. You're on the drill. And his confidence from the first uh, screw going in to the fifth, to the 50th, up and up and up. And it was just cool to see this little kid gain some skills. Some of the most confident guys I know are these renaissance men. It's like, dude can play a guitar. He can work his power tools. He's building a little bit of furniture in the shop. So some of these things I can't do. And I'm like, man, I do lack confidence in those areas. And I think the more skills you can learn, the more confident you can become. Yeah. 
I think like what emerged to me and all, all the things you just said too in the area of building skills is like giving kids opportunities, giving young men opportunities. Like I think it wasn't only that you put a drill in that 11 year old's hand, like that act in and of itself. I think it was you telling him, Hey, I'm, I'm like entrusting you to put the screws in this deck. Like you got this man. You yeah. got this. Yeah. And and again, like he, he might've blew it at that and, and done terribly, but you're giving him an opportunity. And even if he fails, it's okay. Cause he had an opportunity to grow and, and, I would be surprised if, if if an 11-year-old perfectly executed that on the first try. But that's not the point. It's the it's the fact that you gave him an opportunity. It blows me away, Luke 2.52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The first three words of that sentence of Scripture blow me away. And Jesus grew. God could have come to earth as a totally complete man. He could have come in the form of God, whatever that would have been. God is a spirit. But instead, he comes as a man and not just a man. He comes as a baby, right? And so it, it blows me away that that God put Jesus in a position where he had to learn. He had to grow. He had to go through every body change that a young boy goes through. He had to learn carpentry from his father, Joseph. And I got to think that from that, it it's so crazy to say, but God, Jesus gained confidence <laughs> as he grew. I mean, was he as confident at six as he was at 12? No, there's no way. And so, man, just giving the kid the opportunity, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that greatly impacted him. And yeah, you say, well, man, I didn't have this skill of carpentry or whatever, but I look at the things you can do with a computer, that you can do with media, that you can do with mics and sound and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and that kind of stuff does lend you confidence. One, one of the things... I like that you talk about Logan all the time is resting in your identity in Christ, coming back to that North star, or, you know, I like to think of it as framing the skill of framing your identity, uh, biblically, uh, that, that is a skill as well, because I know guys who are, who are great at a sport. I'm talking about world elite and they are not confident guys. Why is that? It's because they realize, man, even though, you know, I might be the greatest baseball player X position, or I make millions of dollars doing Y over here, I still have these insecurities. Why is that? Well, ultimately, every guy is going to have spiritual insecurity because we live in a sinful world. And if I'm putting all of my security in my uh, skill, my career, whatever it may be, ultimately there comes a day where we realize man, that's a cracked foundation. That's empty. This is not going to last and sustain the weight of life and this, especially the weight of eternity. I totally believe that spiritual confidence that comes through the skill of framing your identity biblically is huge. When I was going through all my struggles with soccer and you know, lacking confidence, and I literally spiraled into a mini depression, again, trying to sleep through games, I woke up one day and I realized I have got to win this battle. If I, I had quit soccer even by then. Um, but I said, I've got to figure out what led to my lack of confidence and I got, I got to fight back. And so I started searching the scriptures. I started memorizing every verse I could find on confidence. I memorized Isaiah 32, 17. It says the fruit of righteousness will be confidence 
forever. Okay, I need to live a righteous life. God help me. I came across Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says, uh, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Man, that that phrase, do not dwell in the past, I used to meditate on that thing so much. I'd go down to the gym and shoot baskets with guys, and when I'd miss a shot, I'd be running back to get on D, and I would literally recall that phrase, do not dwell on the past. I would meditate on that thing when I got a paperback that was a C- minus that I'd written for some class, you know, and I'm like, okay, do not dwell on the past. Let's get better. Let's do better. I literally overcame through scripture meditation and putting it into practice in those situations, my lack of confidence. But here's the deal, dude. I needed a lab to practice my theory. I rejoined my college soccer team, which I had quit. I rejoined the team, asked the coach if I could come back because I needed to know if it actually worked in the area where I was exposed the most. And I'll never forget, I I came back, I'd practiced a bunch, I was starting to get starts. And I go into a game, and again, I went against a player who was better than me. And this guy made some moves. He got past me, all that kind of stuff. Again, I was a defender. And I was starting to feel some of that anxiety that came from lack of confidence. It was coming back, dude, on the field. Only this time I had this arsenal of scripture that I could recall. And so I did, even out loud, (laughs) on the field. You know, the dude probably thought I was nuts, but I just started quoting scripture to myself. Even some warrior scriptures, you know, I trained my fingers for battle out of Psalms. And um, what happened was I was able to train my mind to bounce back, to not spiral down into doubt and a lack of confidence. And I ended up having um, uh, more success than I had ever had that season. Ironically, I ended up uh, walking away from the team at the end of my junior year. I was like, I like soccer okay. It's not my passion. But I was able to prove to myself, dude, you can do this. You, you, this works. This stuff works. Framing your identity biblically and scripture meditation can help you if you couple it in the situation, if you apply it in the situation where you're struggling. Yeah. I love, I, I think what you said is super profound that our, our spiritual confidence, I think really is the bedrock for every other confidence, um, every other area of life. I love the phrase that you use of Jesus being the North star for manhood. I think I think we sometimes get in trouble as Christians when we talk about manhood in the sense that I think sometimes our idea of manhood is shaped more by our culture than it is by the God of the Bible. And I want to be clear, Jesus was a man. But I think what happens when we start to define manhood as shooting a rifle and throwing a football, which to be clear, both of those things are great. I'm not, I'm not against (laughs) either of those things. I love, I love to throw a football. I just shot a gun for the first time in my life last year. It was fun, but I don't ever see Jesus throwing a football or shooting a gun. And so those things, yeah, they're and, not prereqs for me. Yeah, exactly. And and you can, you can be awesome at those things and you can hone your craft in those things. I just think keeping our eyes fixed on, like you said, that North star that like Jesus is the North star of manhood and our spiritual confidence in him can carry over into all of those different areas of our life. But if our North star for manhood is Jesus, then we should be more informed in our manhood from the gospels than from our Twitter feed from the culture around us. And so I think it's cool though, like exactly what you said, you can take your spiritual confidence in Christ and apply it to any area of your life through, like you said, some of those practical skills, like a scripture meditation. So I, I really like that. So you talk about spiritual confidence. What are some other specific areas of life that guys can build skills in? Yeah. And I'll add to that just the area of purity, 
because I see guys who are struggling with a porn habit and they sort of binge purge, they fall back into it. Man, those guys sometimes are the guys who are the most sort of proverbially shoulder slumped guys. Uh, you can just tell like all confidence is gone. The, the spiritual wind has been knocked out of their sails. And I get it, man. I've been in sin cycles where I'm like, dude, I'm never going to gain victory in this area. And the way you get confidence is you reach out, man. You reach out to a team of guys and you go, help me. I need help. I need accountability. I need presence. I need um, you in my life consistently. That's the only way you're going to kind of break out of that. You can't just walk up to a guy like that and be like, dude, just be confident. Like that's the dumbest thing you can say to somebody who's lacking confidence. It just doesn't work like that. I believe that confidence is like many things. It's a lagging indicator. It's a lagging indicator of many other things. Can you define what you mean by a lagging indicator? Because I think that's awesome. Yeah. So I think let's go back to sports. You know, uh, we all know about guys in basketball who have gone into shooting slumps, baseball, hitting slumps, golf, just a slump <laughs> period. You start playing bad golf. I don't believe that slumps start one day out of nowhere uh, in your career as well. In any area, I don't think a slump starts out of nowhere. I think a poor performance slump has has been in the making for probably months and maybe a year. Who was it? Rick Ann Keel, the guy who kind of out of nowhere couldn't hit, even throw the ball to the catcher. Major Heavy League yips. Baseball yeah. basically got the pitching yips, yeah. right? And so if you ask the average sports fan, are the yips mental or mechanical? What are they going to say, do you think? They're mental. They're mental. Absolutely, they're mental. I totally disagree with that. I do not think the yips are mental. I think the yips are a lagging indicator of a mechanically uh, mechanical bad habit that you let slip in. I'll give you an example. Let's say a guy is in the NBA. He's a really good three-point shooter, and um, he goes on the. They're on a road trip. They're going up and down the East Coast. He's sleeping in beds with pillows that he's not used to. It's not his own bedroom. And one day he wakes up. He's got a little kink in his neck. He gets the physio to work it out a little bit, but it's like eighty percent worked out, not fully. That's it's the human body, right? It's not consistent. So he goes out, and in the warm-up, he goes to shoot, but he gets his elbow. In a, in a, let's say a quarter inch different position than it usually is for his thousands of shots he's thought throughout it, shot throughout his life. Let's say he goes into the game and he, he doesn't notice that small change because it's so small, right? He goes in the game and he, and he has a great game. He goes in the next game, he has a great game, but he has let this small mechanical bad habit seep into his shooting form, okay? He goes uh, on another trip and it slips out a little bit more, but he doesn't pick up on it. Now it's a half inch. It's in a different spot, a half an inch. You see this with Jordan Spieth the last few years with his golf swing. It's in, it's in a half inch different spot now. And now he doesn't notice because it was a quarter inch off already. Would he have noticed his elbow a half inch out of position, you know, four months ago? Yes. But does he notice the quarter inch change each time, twice? No, he does not. Now he goes from shooting eight for 13 from behind the arc to now he has a night where he's two for 14. Well, if that guy's an unbelievable shooter, let's just say it's Steph Curry. Does he panic when he goes two for 14? No, he does not. <laughs> right. Cause he's a mental giant. So then the next night he goes one for 15. Well, if he shoots, you know, 40 for 400, 
from behind the arc over the next couple of months. Now you got a guy who's in a slump. Now, now tell me, is he going to have as much confidence now as he used to? No. Are people going to say he has a mental issue? Yes. Are people going to say he has the yips? Possibly. Depends on how many air balls he shoots. Rick and Keel, you know, couldn't, couldn't find the pitcher after a while, you know, out of nowhere. It's pretty easy to see too, how like the mechanical, the slight mechanical change that compounds over time can lead to mental effects on, on these, on these guys that they, all their confidence is just shot. Dude, if I, if I, I don't know who's, who's the best Indy 500 car driver. I have no idea. I have do you? no idea, man. <laughs> yeah. We're not into that. No. Let's say you go to the, I think there's a Bubba out there or a Martin or something. I have no idea. Let's say you go to one of these guys and you say, Hey, um, you're, you're taking my wife's minivan into the Indy 500 this year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he goes and races. Not only does he get beat by miles, he gets beat by hundreds of miles. Not only does he get beat by minutes, he gets beat by hours. Um, not days, I guess you could drive a minivan 500 miles in a day, but he gets destroyed. Could you imagine he crosses the finish line? It's dark. Everyone's gone. He rolls down the window and you go, bro, you got mental issues. You have confidence problems. Right? The guy does not have confidence problems. He has mechanical problems. Wrong car. Now, do I think mechanical problems lead to mental issues, to confidence issues as a lagging indicator? Yes, I do. So that, that, that's what I mean by the lagging indicator. Um, spiritual maturity is a lagging indicator of your spiritual disciplines prior to today. Uh, financial success is a lagging indicator of your decisions prior to today. Physical fitness is a lagging indicator of your eating and your uh, physical exercise or habits prior to today. And I think confidence is a lagging indicator of mechanics and mental training and spiritual fitness um, from the days leading up to today. It, it, it takes all of them. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. After I quit the soccer team, I was more confident than I'd ever been in my life. I was confident socially. I was confident with soccer, even though it didn't matter. I wasn't playing anymore. I was more just excited that the, that the word of God did what God said it would do. That Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, God's word does not come back void. It's just like when rain goes into the earth and causes seeds to germinate and, and grow wheat into the air. There are certain fruits that will come about in our life in Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be confidence. And so I was pumped, dude. I was super pumped. At the end of that year, one of the sororities on the campus had a soccer tournament. Uh, they call it a little World Cup. It was a fundraiser philanthropy. And so I put together a team of a bunch of fraternity guys and myself. And I was the only one who played college soccer. Everybody else was like a good high school player. Well, all the seniors on our D1 soccer team that year uh, had graduated. And so there were seven of them. It was a seven against seven soccer tournament. Those guys formed a team. Obviously, they're going to dominate the tournament. We end up in the final match, my, my team of, you know, a uh, bunch of fraternity guys and myself uh, going against basically our starting seven seniors from our college soccer team. I gather these guys up, my team at lunch. And here I am who two years earlier, I tried to sleep through games because I was crumbled by doubt. I took these guys to lunch, my fraternity team. And I go, guys, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I'm planning on winning this game. And they're looking at me like I'm crazy. Like they were just excited. They got to the final match. I go, dude, I'm not here to lose. I'm here to beat those guys. I played with these guys. I used to practice with these guys all the time. As I'm talking, I'm like, who is this guy? How do I have all this confidence? I go, guys, 
I'm going to score and several of you are going to score and we're going to win this game. And the confidence became contagious. We went out and beat the college soccer team. <laughs> it was That's unbelievable. Good. That never would have happened had it not been for those, honestly, hours of scripture meditation and avoiding you know negative ruminating thoughts by defaulting to God's word, training myself to default to God's word instead of defaulting to the, the thoughts of doubt that honestly plagued me. Yeah. Man, that's really good. And I think what's cool, what's cool about that whole story and just as a sample size, like you had to experience some setbacks and what you call headwinds. I think what a lot of people would call failures, um, to get to a point of growth in your confidence, to, to get to a point of overcoming. Uh, I, I think that I would love to go in this direction a little bit because man, Sean, we, we like so much of our culture right now, a, a cancel culture in a lot of ways says you can't make mistakes. Like you, you can't mess up. You can't fail. Otherwise, if, if you do, you're going to get canceled for it. You're gonna because get... of course the people who are canceling you have never made a mistake yeah, in their exactly. life. The irony is, is very clear, but man, I, I, I know I feel the weight of this and I know I'm not alone. And, and, and I know a lot of young men are feeling the weight of, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. Like I, like I don't even want to do anything because I'm so afraid of failing and I'm so afraid of getting quote unquote canceled for it. I want you to talk a little bit about the value of just doing it. Like of you, you shared an article with me that I really liked and got a lot out of is, is the 70, 20, 10 rule. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the, the whole, the whole concept is man, 70% of what you output is going to be just okay. 20% of what you output is going to be flat out bad. And ten percent of what you put out is going to be awesome, and that this is this theory developed from a, a guy who's a songwriter. That basically, in the songs that he's written, that's that's how he's seen it played out. And and honestly, as I start to evaluate evaluate my own work, I start to see those trends become real too. And what that makes me want to do is not just quit altogether because man, seventy to ninety percent of what I do isn't going to make the press. It makes me want to keep going because in in all reality, I'm not going to reach that ten percent unless I just do it, unless I fail. So can, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what is the role of failure ironically in building confidence? What a great question. I love how you uh, couch that Logan. One of the things I did with my sons over the years is I used the word failure, the F word, as much as I could. While parents around me were trying to protect their kids for failure, it was my goal for my kids to fail because failure is almost never fatal. Okay. And I wanted them to learn that. And I also wanted them to learn that you do fail. Like other parents want to say the only failure is not trying, right? You just got to go try. No, actually, sometimes you go and you try, especially in the early days of trying anything and you do by definition, not succeed. Therefore you failed. So that's a word I've just used very naturally with my kids. I haven't tried to protect them. If I failed, I said I failed. I didn't make it some massive shameful event. If I failed, if I, if I failed in the way I treated my wife or, or the way I treated one of them, I would come back. And one of the things I always wanted to be was a, a dad who apologized and owned my sin. And, uh, man, you'll, you make a lot of mistakes <laughs> parenting kids. But one thing I realized mentoring college guys over the years is that many of them said, my dad never apologized to my mom or to mm. us for anything. And I didn't want to be that guy. I, I knew I was going to sin. I knew I was going to make mistakes. I knew I was going to fail. 
but I at least wanted to own it and call it a failure and say, guys, I want to be better. Please forgive me. I apologize. I also, there are many reasons I wanted to do that, but one of those reasons was I wanted to teach my kids that failure is not fatal. It's not the end. It's the beginning. I love that article that you're talking about because essentially the finding of, of that study was that quantity begets quality. And that is not how most people think, right? They, they reference a study, and this has been done in many different ways, but they referenced a, a study in the article you're talking about. And we can post the link in the show notes. But it talks about how there were two control group or two groups, essentially, and each was given a bunch of clay. And one group was told, essentially, make one pot, make the best pot you can out of this clay. The other group was told, make as many pots as you humanly possibly can, right? And lo and behold, at the end of the the time period, they found that by and large, the group that made more pots, the best pots that they made were better than the one pot that the other group made. Now that, that may be hard to hear if you're one of these people who's a slow plotter and a planner and an architect type. And But you know what? You know how you build a great bridge? Over the years, you learn from just building bridges. Now, when there's a lot at stake, when failure can be fatal, uh, like civil engineering, then obviously now we're into a ton of planning and all that kind of stuff. But stuff had to be learned over the years uh, for people to get better. I wanted to see my sons fail faster. It's like, I want to see my team members at work fail faster. We, we used to talk about all the time, we need to reinstate this, but we used to talk all the time about um, every single week, somebody had to share something that they failed at in the previous seven days. I love that. It was awesome yeah. because the faster you fail, the faster we want to protect young boys from failure because we think that erodes confidence. It does the exact opposite. When kids go out into the world at age 22 and they never really experienced real failure and then they, you know, don't get hired or they get hired and they get fired or they struggle relationally, they start making an identity statement. Not I failed, but I am a failure. Yeah, I I love all that. We, you and I, along with our coworkers, read a book called Generation Z Unfiltered by Tim Elmore. And there's a section that stands out a ton to me. He, He talks about parenting. I'm not a parent. I'm 22. But I can see a lot of this even in just in my own personal life. He, he talks about in, in parenting, and maybe you can relate with some of this, he says, or, or some of what you've seen. He says, we risk too little. We won't let kids take risks or get hurt. We rescue too quickly. We won't let them fail or, or forget, or we won't let them fail or fall or forget. We rave too easily. We exaggerate our praise for accept, expected performance. Boom. And we reward too frequently. We offer prizes for mere participation. And so he talks about this idea of growing resiliency in kids. And he talks about how the four phases of that are to try, to learn, to adapt, and recover. And I love that. I, I think even, again, I'm not a parent, but in my own personal life, I want to be someone who tries, who learns, who adapts, and who recovers. And in in that cycle of growing resiliency, that requires failing a lot. Like in order to learn and adapt and recover, you have to try and you have to fail. And I think there's so much value in that in building confidence. A hundred percent. I have a, a great friend named Blake Brewer. He's an incredible husband, an incredible dad. He posted on his, uh, I think it was his Facebook page or maybe his website. He just asked the question, how do you build confidence into your kids? 
And there were all kinds of different answers. And I ended up writing a few steps on there that took some traction because I essentially said, give them things to fail at, <laughs> give them something that they're going to go and they're going to fail. And, and you know, the example I gave was, um, hang a, a tire or a, or a hula hoop from a rope from a, you know, on a rope from a tree branch and have your kids try to throw the football through the hula hoop, right? Don't have him stand two feet away and just throw it in there. Guess what happens to a kid who, who tr attempts something that's too easy? He loses interest. It's got to be just hard enough so that he's going to fail several times before he ever succeeds. And then once he succeeds a couple times in a row, make it harder. Move the hoop. Make the hoop a little smaller. Move the kid further back. Make it a little harder until he can succeed, uh, experience some level of proficiency of success at that level. And then what? Give him some praise for effort, not results. Effort is even more important. Commending diligence and perseverance and endurance to me is much more important than commending the mechanics of the proper throw uh, with the football. I love that. It, and, and what you're saying makes me think of, I think you're striking a healthy balance because you're, we're not, you're not trying to make your kid feel like crap. We're not trying to make people, <laughs> not trying to make people feel like crap. That's the opposite of the point we're trying to make with this entire podcast about confidence. Son, you suck. Yeah. You suck at this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not the point. And, and I, I, but I love what you said about commending, but not, not even commending the success, commending the process more like you're, you're stoking in your kids at that point a love and a passion for the process more than even the product, which I think there's so much value in that. Because when you talk about identity, if, if all you're ever praising is the outcome, if all you're ever praising is the product, then what's going to happen to that kid's confidence? It entirely wavers based on the output rather than if you're, if you're praising and celebrating the process, they can always execute the process. They can always go through the cycle of trying and adapting and, and learning and recovering. And if you're celebrating that, that's going to continue to be lived. Yeah. And, and if all you ever praise is the result, then the kid doesn't care about the character aspect. He doesn't care about how that sport ends up benefiting him later. I saw this in my own kids. It's like, dad, I'm, I'm losing in this sport again and again and again. You know what? I'm wasting my time. And I'm like, dude, God is using this time to build a man. You're going to persevere in your marriage. You're going to persevere in your career. You're going to persevere in your parenting. You're going to persevere when things get tough financially or there's a sickness in the family because I see you building toughness and endurance through this sport. Trying to help him see kind of the, the bigger picture of that I think is important. Now, to your point about the process and reps and all this stuff, we teach students, college kids all the time, believers, to share their faith. And I, and I see it every time, like there are certain personalities of kids who are like, um, what if someone says this? What if someone says this? What if someone says this? And they want to ask like 25 questions. They want to practice the perfect answer to every single one of those questions so that by the time they go out, failure is impossible. Like I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm scared to death, they'll say, that somebody's going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to, right? They, they just, they don't want to experience that awkward moment. And I think we've forgotten in in life and specifically in sharing the gospel, I don't know is a complete sentence. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, like you can't know everything. So it's okay to say, hey, I don't know. And and I, I love the I love what you're saying in this specific area because I personally have, have resonated with this in sharing my faith with other people because it's kind of, if we're being real, it's a daunting task. Like it it gets deep and it and it and it racks the nerves a little bit. 
But I think what I realized pretty quickly was what you're saying. And James Clear talks about it in his book, Atomic Habits. It's like, there's a difference between being in motion and actually like taking action. And so I think when it came to sharing the gospel, I was always in motion. I was always coming up with the perfect way to present this, the perfect way to answer X, Y, Z question. And in all reality, I was never going to grow in confidence in sharing my faith unless I actually took action and went and did it. And that's when you learn the lessons. That's when you end up actually leading somebody to Christ. That's when you get hungry to go back and memorize some more scripture because you go, I didn't know the answer to that. And I'd I'd love to kind of sow some more seed of scripture in this person's heart, but I didn't know enough. And spiritual confidence continues to be the bedrock, not in and of myself. Like I come back to the verse where Paul talks about, man, I, I planted seeds, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Like I need to be meditating on that scripture and letting my confidence come not from my own ability to execute X, Y, Z, and this is specifically in the area of sharing the gospel in our spiritual lives, but my confidence can come through the, the power of God itself, like God himself stepping in and giving the growth. And that takes so much of the pressure off for me because it's like, okay, I could perfectly present the gospel to this person and they could be completely uninterested. Or I could butcher this gospel presentation and this person could come to Christ because actually it's not about me. It's about the power of God working through that person. And what's cool is like, God will use me. Like I'm, I'm a broken vessel, but God will use me. And that's amazing. But it's not about how perfectly I can execute X, Y, Z. My spiritual confidence comes from, no man, God is going to work through this. And so I should just be doing it. I should just be taking action rather than sitting in motion and actually really not going anywhere and not growing in confidence. Everything you're saying uh, reminds me of the age old paradoxical question, you know, is it God or is it me? (laughs) Right. And it's like, you know, where, where does my confidence come from? Who should I be confident in? Man, grow my skills through reps. That will give me some confidence. But if I'm doing the spiritual work of God, I I'm going to learn to be confident in him because I'm going to see him work. I love what you were saying about first Corinthians three, six through eight there. Paul says, I planted Apollos watered. God gave the growth. Paul said, I have my part. God has his part. I need to get good at my part, skill. I also need to get skillful or experienced at trusting God to do his part. Both of those are, to me, confidence. I I love this topic, man. I wish we could talk all day. I know we got to wrap it up here. Here's Here's what I hope going away, Logan. I hope that our, that our members of the herd will walk away and be more apt to risk. I hope that the guys will go and embrace failure, that they will embrace failure as the path to confidence, failing faster. I hope that they'll embrace scripture meditation, finding those scriptures in the Bible that talk about confidence and how you build confidence and placing your confidence uh, in the Lord. Yeah, man, I love all that. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, We would really love if you would share this on social media. We would love if you would share this with other guys that you want to have an impact on. And we want you to keep coming back over the course of of the next couple weeks, couple months, as we continue to dive into some specific topics and tackle, man, how how can we continue to grow as godly men? So we'll, we'll see you next week. Peace.